Welcome to the Back Him Down Podcast. This is your host, Coach Johnson. In this episode, we're going to be getting into some college basketball talk, as well as talk a little bit about what's going on in the NBA preseason. First and foremost, I would like to send my thoughts and prayers to Keontae Johnson of the Florida Gators men's basketball team as he collapsed on the floor after coming out of a timeout during their game on Sunday. There was positive signs of him coming out of his medically induced coma and responding to certain little things in the hospital. He's been transported to a different facility. So things seem to be getting better, but I just continue to pray and hope that he has a full recovery and that there's no long-term effects from this happening. The first topic of discussion is talking about the Gonzaga Bulldogs. As the early part of the season has progressed, there hasn't been a better team than Gonzaga. The Zags stay at number one in this week's top 25 poll. Gonzaga's perfect record features wins over Kansas and West Virginia, as well as a win over Auburn. They've cemented themselves as the best team in college basketball, and there's no doubt about it. Ken Palm lists their early season strength to schedule as the fourth toughest in the nation. Gonzaga ranks among the fastest teams in the nation with 14.4 seconds per offensive possession, which is good for 15th quickest in the country. This is also while deploying their top-level offensive unit, which is second in adjusted offense. Gonzaga's offense is simply a relentless attack featuring high-level scores all over the roster. They have five players that are averaging double figures thus far, including two 20-plus point scores in Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy. The only cause for concern for the Bulldogs is that they have struggled from beyond the arc, only shooting 29.1% from three. But they are dominating the paint as Gonzaga ranks at the top in the nation in near-proximity shots attempt per game as they are consistently creating easy looks. They are also hitting two-point jump shots at a very impressive clip Sixth in a nation in mid-range efficiency. One of the biggest things that sticks out to me with this Gonzaga team and their offense is that when you look at their statistics um, on synergy, you see that they're either you know very good or excellent in a lot of areas, whether that's in transition, out of bounds after timeout situations, or you know as their o- overall offense, even in you know, how they break down their offense and transition, their pick-and-roll ball handlers, spot-ups, post-ups, cutting, pick-and-roll, roll-man, offensive rebounds. They have a very potent offense. You know, I'm looking at their transition offensive numbers right here, and they're scoring 1.25 points per possession in transition, which ranks in the 89th percentile in the nation. You know, you look at their half-court offense as an overall, and they're scoring 1.01 points per possession, which is good for the 92nd percentile. So, you know, you put those together and you get your overall look at the offense, and they're scoring 
0.06 points per possession, which ranks them in the 96th percentile. And they have 281 points in 263 possessions so far this season. You know, and the toughest thing about Gonzaga is that they're both good against man defense and zone defense. While, you know, not a lot of teams have played zone against them, but when teams have, they've made them pay. In the half court against man, they're scoring one point per possession. And against the zone, they're scoring 1.1 points per possession. But they've only faced 5% of zone in all of their possessions compared to the 95% they've played against man. And just seeing these numbers and everything, it's like, how are you going to stop this team? Because if you obviously teams that have played zone haven't had much success, and even though they've struggled from the perimeter shooting wise, they have enough size on the inside and skilled post players to hurt you if you play zone against them. And this comes down to the roster makeup because Jalen Suggs has gotten off to a great start for his college career, and he's bringing, you know, not only his ability to push the ball in transition and finish around a basket, which is important for the Zags, but he's also bringing quality on the ball defense. But what really makes the Zags so dangerous is the depth they possess and the different lineups that they can play throughout a game. But their true best and quote-unquote death lineup, as of now statistically, is the five-man rotation of Ayayi, Kispert, Nimhard, Timmy, and Watson. While Watson does struggle on the offensive end, this group's defense is what propels it to the top as the mix of this group's offense and defense is better than any other five-man rotation that Gonzaga possesses. And it's towards the top of five-man rotations in the country, which has allowed the Gonzaga Bulldogs to remain undefeated even though their season is on pause at the moment, I don't see anyone getting in their way until we get to tournament time because they've already knocked out a few of the top teams in the country and there's just not going to be a whole lot of competition within their conference outside of St. Mary's and San Francisco. Next, let's get into some NBA preseason basketball talk. Starting with the debut of LaMelo Ball. He's played a few games up to this point. He came off the bench in Saturday's preseason debut. And while he failed to score on five shot attempts, his playmaking and rebounding were on full display. His final stat line was zero points, 10 rebounds, four assists, and four turnovers in 16 minutes. But Charlotte fans have a lot to be excited about. Not only because of the brand that comes with LaMelo Ball that's going to attract more attention to the franchise and the superstar potential that LaMelo has, but there's just a lot of buzz about the franchise that hasn't been in Charlotte in a very, very long time. Maybe since they had the likes of Larry Johnson and Muggsy Bogues, Alonzo Mourning, 
there just hasn't been the same type of buzz. Yes, they've had Kimba Walker, but no one paid as much attention to those teams that Kimba was on compared to the amount of attention given to the Hornets with LaMelo in the fold. LaMelo Ball already looks like one of the best passers in the NBA as he was launching full-court dimes that reminded us of his brother Lonzo and then dishing a few behind-the-back passes that were out of this world. He's still raw as a shooter, and the learning curve for rookie point guards is a steep one. And not to to mention, he'll be sharing the ball with Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, and Gordon Hayward as well. The promising sign going into the second game of LaMelo Ball's NBA career is that he hit two three-pointers, and that's a positive sign. He did only shoot three of ten from his shots overall on Monday, but he scored 12 points in 20 minutes during a 112-109 to 109 loss versus Toronto. Lon- LaMelo added three rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block, and three turnovers. But those made triples are the headline of this conversation. A shaky jump shot was the primary complaint about LaMelo Ball going into the NBA draft, <clears throat> and his NBA readiness could ramp up in a hurry if he is able to keep defenders honest from the perimeter. Yes, he was only two of six from deep on Monday, so we're not going to go overboard about this, but it's a start and a step in the right direction. I will be back shortly to wrap up the show after a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. Now let's transition into the next topic. Something I'm going to be looking at a lot this year is how Ja Morant looks to build upon his Rookie of the Year season last year. Memphis exceeded expectations in year one of the Ja Morant experience as he established himself as the franchise's engine. He was given praise in the offseason by Zach Randolph, who was a monumental piece of the grit and grind era. Morant's propensity to play bigger than listed size of 6 foot 374 pounds made him, him an immediate fit in Memphis. When attacking the rim, John Morant's merger of relentlessness and precision kept defenses on their heels throughout the whole season allowing him to rack up 10.7 interior points per game, according to NBA Advanced Stats. The guard became just the eighth rookie since 2000 to average double-figure points in the paint. If Morant's rookie year illustrated anything, it's that neither him or Memphis will be intimidated into backing off the attacking mentality that they have. Last season, the Grizzlies led the NBA with 55.9 points in the paint, and the last time they ranked first in interior scoring was in the 2014-15 season when they made it as far as the Western Conference semifinals before losing to the eventual champion Golden State Warriors. To revisit those achievements, the Grizzlies are likely going to have to follow John Morant's lead on and off the floor. Before his rookie season resumed, Morant reportedly added a dozen pounds of muscle to his frame through workouts with his father. Those drives can pay off in many, many ways, 
For evidence, you can look no farther than the 277 assist opportunities he created via kickout per second spectrum. That total ranked eighth most in the NBA, placing him ahead of all-star selections and all-NBA selections such as James Harden, Chris Paul, and Nikola Jokic, three of the most gifted passers in recent memory. Now, maybe the biggest question that has arised for me so far is, is that did OKC strike gold by drafting Pokusheski and Maladon? Yes, it is only the preseason, but what is the preseason in the NBA without overreacting? Looking at you, Anthony Bennett, rookie Theo, Teo Maladon who former Spurs point guard Tony Parker said should have been a top 10 selection in this year's draft, sure looked the part. The rookie scored a team-high 20 points on 7 of 14 shooting from the field, and he demonstrated control of the game and didn't look like a player who was experiencing his first NBA competition. He also added five rebounds and two assists while committing only one turnover. The Thunder's other prize rookie, Pokoshevsky, turned in 14 points, connecting on three huge three-pointers down the stretch, enabling the Thunder to hold on when the Spurs tightened the gap. Pokoshevsky and Maladon scored all 15 of the team's points in the decisive 15-6 run that helped them escape with the victory over the Spurs. I knew about Teo Maladon before the draft, one of the international prospects I was keeping my eye on going in to this year's draft. And I know the year before leading up to this year's cycle, he was projected to be a lottery pick. I'm not sure what changed during that time span other than the high school guys that went up to college produced at a very high level, and so that changed draft boards. The upperclassmen in college that performed well, they changed uh, the draft boards. And Maladon probably just got last in the mix, unfortunately. But I really think the Thunder struck gold by drafting him in the second round with the 35th pick as he looks to probably be the backcourt mate of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and you're kind of looking at what will be the future backcourt of the Oklahoma City Thunder. The biggest thing that Maladon will have to be able to show is that he consistently knocked down perimeter jump shots as he didn't shoot, shoot a high percentage when he was playing professionally overseas. But he knocked down a few the other night against the Spurs, and he was never out of control. He never got sped up. He always played at his pace. He made great decisions in the half court, in transition. Um, while his assist numbers weren't high in this game, he did make a lot of good decisions off of the pick and roll, off of drives, and you know if they counted hockey assist then he would have had a lot more. And then, you know, flipping over to Pokusheski, a lot of people questioned the decision 
to draft him just because of the thin frame that he has and not knowing if he was going to even see any minutes going into this season. But it seems like there is a plan to find him minutes in within the rotation for Oklahoma City. Going back and watching some of this game, I was impressed by you know, his ability to shoot off of many different actions. You know, we saw him in a catch-and-shoot situation. We saw him off of a dribble handoff. And while his mechanics are a little funky and the shot is pretty flat, when you have that ability to shoot at 7-2, not sure what they're going to have him listed at, then it's going to open up so many other areas of your game and we even saw him, you know, his first two points in this game were off of a drive into a floater, you know, over a big. And so there's a lot you're going to be able to work with if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder staff. And seeing, you know, him have confidence to not be gun shy and, you know, attack the basket and look to score. Those are promising signs for the player development staff of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think they've got really two good players that are going to thrive under this new coach and be able to be an integral parts of this organization for many years to come. And now on to what is the biggest talking point of the NBA preseason is the emergence of Taylor Horton Tucker. This preseason, the performance of Lakers second-year wing Taylor Horton Tucker is particularly noteworthy. He was drafted 46 overall in 2019, but he's showcasing two-way talent that would make him a lottery pick in any type of redraft. Horton Tucker's development could add even more depth to the best and deepest team in the NBA right now, and he's going to also provide a core piece for the future. He's earned the hype so far this preseason and he's garnered praise from LeBron James and others as he posted 19 points and 9 rebounds in the first preseason game versus the Los Angeles Clippers. In his encore, Horton Tucker produced a banger. On Sunday, he played 41 minutes and dropped 33 points to go along with 10 rebounds, 4 assists, and 4 steals. Exhibition or not, Horton Tucker made it obvious that he has a deep bag of tricks that can make him a tough cover against anyone. THT just turned 20 years old, which makes him a younger than 41 players drafted in this year's NBA draft. And he's flashed more scoring upside than many of them. He's a true hooper with a deep bag like Jamal Crawford, but he's packaged in a body that resembles P.J. Tucker. He's the league's heaviest at 234 pounds and longest at a six foot one wingspan player for his height, which is 6'4". From his time at Iowa State to now, he has drastically transformed his game, especially tightening his handle, which makes him a nightmare of a matchup. While he's not going to be asked to shoot as much as he has during the regular, during the preseason, he will, much, he will be much utilized as an off-ball player who can spot up, catch, and shoot cut and slash, as well as attack lesser defenders off the dribble with LeBron and Anthony Davis in the lineup. 
Everything that scared teams away from drafting him allowed for the Lakers to take a risk on him late in the second round, and it is paying off tremendously. He has a smoother he has smoother shooting mechanics than he did coming out of Iowa State, but is still working to find consistency in that part of his game. There's still a lot of room for improvement in his finishing, but you can see the progress being made so far. Maybe the most important thing is how well he has played defensively. His big hands and long arms with his frame suits him to guard wings and forwards. Passing lanes are for his taking. At one time, he looked to be the 11th man in the rotation for Los Angeles, but Vogel's hand may be forced to play him more minutes than expected. But this is a great problem for the Lakers to have. After the free agents, they were able to bring in on their quest to win back-to-back titles. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Back'em Down podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to become a monthly contributor to the show, please click the link at the bottom of the show notes. Everyone enjoy the rest of their day and come back for the next episode of the Back'em Down podcast. Take care.